Welcome to the podcast for Healing Neurology, where we really talk about everything that can help heal your neurology, which is really everything from food, lifestyle, and medicine to nature, culture, and politics. There's no topic too big or too small. I'm Jillian Ehrlich, family nurse practitioner certified in Ayurveda and functional medicine. And we have the incredible Dr. Ailey Cohn back again. We did a, a podcast with her in 2020. Um, she is triple board certified in rheumatology, internal medicine, and integrative medicine, as well as an environmental health expert in Princeton, New Jersey. She's on faculty of the Academy of Integrative Health and Medicine, AIHM, where she created and manages the environmental medicine curriculum for medical colleagues. Dr. Cohn has collaborated with the Environmental Working Group, Cancer Schmancer, and other disease prevention organizations, and is co-editor of the textbook Integrative Environmental Medicine, part of the Oxford University Press, while Integrative Medicine Academic Series. In 2015, she created the smarthuman.com, which you should all go to. Don't interrupt this podcast, but right afterwards, definitely go to the smarthuman.com to share environmental health, disease prevention, and wellness information with the public. She lectures nationally on environmental health topics for elementary and high schools, colleges and universities, medical schools, and physician training programs. And she's a regular expert guest for television, print, and podcasts like ours. She's been the recipient of countless awards, including Top Docs New Jersey and Rheumatology from 2016 to 2021, the New Jersey Healthcare Heroes Award in Education for the Smart Human Educational Platform in 2015, and the 2016 Burton L. Eichler Award for Humanitarianism. Dr. Cohn is working to educate and empower the next generation to make safer, smarter lifestyle choices through the creation of environmental health prevention curricula for schools nationally. Her TEDx talk, How to Protect Your Kids from Toxic Chemicals, can be found on YouTube, and you can follow her health and wellness tips and recommendations on Facebook at The Smart Human, Twitter, and Instagram, which is at The Smart Human. Sign up for the Smart Human newsletter. Read her latest posts at thesmarthuman.com. I can't say it enough. She is a wealth of information. So literally go to all of these places. <laughs> go to the places, listen to the things. She's got a podcast, The Smart Human. She lives on a farm in New Jersey with her husband, two sons, and lots of furry friends. Ailey, welcome. We're so happy to have you. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much. I tell you, I, I always like doing these podcasts because I get to hear stuff that makes me happy. I go home and I have to deal with my kids like screaming and yelling at me. So this, this is such a refreshing moment. Um, but thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we're lucky to have you. And our topic today, what we are really wanting to focus on is one of the things that we cannot live without. It's not air, but it is water, right? It's like number number two in the world is water. So we are going to talk all about water today and set the scene for us. How do we think about water? Well, we don't. I mean, I think that's what's... <laughs> I mean, if I were to generalize it and I'm saying this out of my own experience also, like, you know, how, how many times do you go to a restaurant, you sit at a table, they plunk down a glass of water and you drink it. Yeah. You know, we don't really think where that water comes from in a restaurant, let alone really too much into what comes out of our faucets in our home. And, you know, we're all like, oh, well, maybe it's contaminated. I'll just drink bottled water. Well, no one really thinks that the fact that 75% of all bottled water, you know, plastic bottled water is actually tap water. So we have a real, and actually it's, yeah, tap water. And it's actually funny because every time I go to another city for some reason or another, I always see what they always have in their, you know, hotel refrigerators um, huh? in the lobby. And a lot of times it's like really fancy package and it'll say ingredients, municipal water. <laughs> it's like that's different from tap. And it's, I mean, it's just bizarre that they actually had the gall to even say that. Yes. Yeah. You know, but the idea is we don't think much about water. And I think that's what really 
After doing a lot of this work for almost 12 years now, it's been a long, you know, uphill climb in terms of learning about environmental chemicals and how they affect human health and radiation and how it affects human health, light pollution, noise pollution, stress, you name it. The probably the biggest topic that has risen, you know, pun intended to the top is drinking water. And I think the more I understand it, the more I dive in, the more I read about the contaminated you know, wells or, you know, floods that cause contaminated water, you know, all these problems with, you know, manufacturing runoff. Um, The more I realize that this is not just a problem now and has been, but it's really going to even be a bigger problem in the future with climate change issues. So those are some of the even additional comments I have to make. So then, you know, basically the question is always going to be what to do, which we'll get to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so, you know, we are opening Pandora's box here. The way to think about water is just to, like, start thinking about it, like, take one step in this direction. Absolutely. I mean, I think once you're aware of anything, whether it's personal care products and how to vet them out or even just choosing food the way you think is healthful for your body, you could start wrapping your head around, how do I just have clean water as most as consistently as possible? Because, of course, you know, we travel, we go to restaurants, you don't always have our you know, filtered water with us. So you have to be flexible and live kind of an 80, 20 life is how I look at it. But, you know, the idea is that the more aware you are, the more you have an opportunity to make sort of some nice changes that'll be beneficial for your whole life. Yeah, absolutely. So who does govern our water? Like, it's interesting that you say like the bottled water says municipal water, because like, if you get a bag of carrots, doesn't necessarily say like, well, I guess sometimes now they say like grown in California, like these are California carrots, but like, who regulates our water? How is that determined what our sources are? So our water is really um, managed federally, federally um, municipal tap or or municipal water, water treatment plants, which serves 80% of the U.S. population. There's 160,000 waste water treatment plants. So these are the plants where water goes in one side from a variety of places, lakes, streams, underground aquifers, sewage from toilet flushing. Yes, we drink toilet water. All of those sources, you know, from rain and and floods and anything, any body of water, plus, of course, our drains from our sinks and our toilets all go through uh, the treatment plant, the wastewater treatment plant to come out as the other side is our our drinking water, our legal Mm -hmm. drinking water. We have 160,000 of them more or less across the U.S. and they serve approximately 80 to 84 percent of the U.S. population. The remaining 14 to 20 percent is served by wells, you know, so private wells either for a home or there's small towns that are, are living off wells. And sort of depending on the population of that environment, you'll you'll see whether or not they have water connections to major um, water systems, you know, for, for uh, you know, federally regulated municipal tap water. That's the overarching, you know, the way we get our water from our faucets for most people. And, you know, the EPA, which is the Environmental Protection Agency, has set the standards for what they believe over the years has been safe levels of various contaminants, because there's always going to be contaminants. And, you know, so the EPA has set standards. Now, those 160, this is going to be the kicker, everyone's jaw is going to drop when they hear this. Okay. Uh So hold on to your seats. Those 160,000 water treatment plants that I don't know, they serve my my town as well. They are held to a standard, uh, a law that was uh, created in 1974, 74, 76 area called the safe drinking water act. Uh And under the safe drinking water act, SDWA, which we still follow today, 50 
years later, only 91 contaminants are looked for and tested and then remediated if they run too high, according to their standards of safety. Wow. So 91 91. And guess how many we actually have chemicals in our environment from, you know, I don't know, 1950s on. Guess how many actually do we have that get into our water right now? How many? How many? 95,000. 95,000. Okay, so there's potentially 94,909 chemicals that could be in our water that we're actually, we just have no idea. We don't know if they're there or not there. Like maybe by chance, they're totally, none of those 91,000 are there. But it's maybe. an unlikely chance. And in the slides that I normally show, you know, to audience audiences, and I have actually next week, I'm presenting this for Earth Day to a high school in, in Princeton, New Jersey, is to show people all of the list of chemicals from coal ash, fracking, you know, radon and some of the nucleotides that are not removed that are natural to the earth, but are not so healthful to us. Mm-hmm. Um, manufacturing runoff any air pollution that lands on bodies of water, medications from sewage, lots of medications have been found regularly um, because they wash right into our, you know, from the toilet, dead animals, fertilizer, pesticides, you know, chlorine is purposely added, chlorinated cleaning products are added purposely into these uh, wastewater treatment plants in order to kill off bacteria, viruses, so that we don't have public health problems where we're all sick, but they're not removed after they're added. So they travel to your home and you're drinking those chlorinated, um, pretty toxic chemicals, detergents also that are allowable up to a certain maximum uh, concentration level and MCL, they are added. So not only are we not removing and we don't have the infrastructure to remove so many modern day chemicals, because these are many chemicals that have been developed since the 1970s, Mm -hmm. we have the equipment to remove them. We're also adding in tons of chemicals to make that water less infectious Mm-hmm. but it's not removed. And then here's the icing on the cake. Oh, it travels through, I don't know, 30 miles to my house. Cause I've interviewed my wastewater treatment plant people uh-huh. 30 miles to my house in PVC piping. Cause that's considered better than the lead piping that most of it's replaced by. So we don't even know along that path, how much contaminant from the piping itself in hot weather if there's breaks in that piping, who knows? 30 miles. Wow. Gets to your home and it's literally like, you know, hard to believe what, what our first filter, our first reverse osmosis filter change. It was so nasty. I put it in my book. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I'm still stuck on we're drinking toilet water, but everything yep. else you're saying is also very shocking. So basically, you know, we don't think about our water when we drink it and nobody does really either. Nobody else does. So nobody is kind of taking care of it. I don't think we take it seriously. I mean, I, it's really hard for me to believe like the whole billion dollar industry of diets, you know, which diets, which macros to take in, which, which micros, you know, like fasting and all of which are very interesting and very valuable information. Yeah. But water by volume, we consume more than any food. Yes, absolutely. And our body is made up 85% of water. Yes, So how do we just neglect that volume of small contaminants over time to major problems? 
Do you know who are those 91 chemicals that are, you know, because there's a process you have to test for them and then you have to find them. How are they removed? How are they addressed? Like, well, they have to create the assays to collect, to identify those substances. And then they have to have the ability to remove them. I don't know the details of that, but if you go online, I mean, if anyone listening goes online and types in safe drinking water act contaminants, you'll get a beautiful visual of the contaminant, the MCL, which is the maximum contaminant level that they'll allow before it becomes a problem. Mm -hmm. And then they'll show some various sources of it. And so they give you some very usable information, but here's a lot of questions in regards to the MCL. Who defines the MCL? When they're talking about public health, they're not talking about a two-year-old. They're talking about a 200-pound male who drinks two liters of water a day. Wow. Okay. So can you imagine that volume in a, in a baby? Right. You know, and so they're allowing some arsenic and some benzene, a little bit of lead. They're <laughs> allowing that because you can't remove all of it. And those 90,000 chemicals you're talking about, that number, to my understanding, is going to con- it continues to grow so that where we are now is actually like potentially exponential levels less than we'll be at in, you know, theoretically 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Well, yeah, because about a thousand new chemicals are added to the market every year. They're now describing over a thousand endocrine disrupting chemicals as they exist now. I mean, you can't, there's not enough third party academic researchers to go through all of them, Um, but at least a thousand endocrine disruptors, which are obviously the chemicals that can affect our hormones, which is very important and immune system as well. But essentially the list keeps growing because unfortunately in the United States, there is no vetting process for safety or toxicity of compounds before they make their way into products. So we don't vet anything before they end up on the products in our shelves, which will eventually get into our water because where do we put Drano? Down the drain. Yes. <laughs> so everything, every paintbrush you've ever washed, everything you've ever put down the drain goes somewhere and it's likely going into the water system that you'll drink. And so can you talk to us a little bit about some of those metrics? Like I know that when they do test, like for pharmaceuticals, they found pharmaceuticals in like every water system that they've checked. Is that right in the country? Yeah. I mean, mostly it's the common drugs, right? It's the blood pressure medications, antipsychotics, oral contraceptives go unchanged, many of those estrogens. Um, So it's a really remarkable finding. Antidepressants might not be so bad, but I'm just saying like they're all coming through there. I mean, it's like you're recycling your meds. How efficient. But it's just, you know, it's remarkable. I mean, I just don't. It's funny because I don't I feel like it's almost like too much for people's minds to take in. They might explode, you know, but it's just remarkable. And so here in Seattle, a few things that I know about our water sources that it actually comes from the Cedar river. And it's like this, it's like 2 million acres of woods, you know, but then of course comes through piping and they send us like a little flyer each year that is beautifully produced on recycled paper about how clean our water is, but certainly it, so is it up to the individual waste? Is it up to the individual city or the individual wastewater plant to then say like, we're doing okay, according to these federal standards. So water quality is so variable. And so when you get a a water report, which you're entitled to legally, um, a CCR, which is like a consumer um, confidence report, consumer Uh confidence report. Confidence, Um, I like that. I don't have much confidence. But anyway, you're supposed to get one every year from your Mm -hmm. water treatment plant. If you have a commercial, you're paying your water bill. They just have to push one out once a year. Okay. But any given day, 
these levels, it's like blood pressure, right? Any given day, yeah. you can have a variable, you, I mean, if it had just had a rain or a tornado or a flood, it absolutely changes water, you know, contamination of lake streams. Yep. You know? Yeah. And so that's what goes through the wastewater treatment plant. So yeah, there's a lot of natural, I want to say not so much disasters, but natural effects on our water quality, which makes it change up, you know, various manufacturing, maybe on, off, move, who knows, pesticides, you know, during certain seasons of the year, we have more pesticides and growing than we do during the winter months, Yeah, which definitely has an effect in terms of water testing in the Midwest, Iowa, all those areas. So, you know, this has been really found to be, you know, the truth that, that there really is a variability that the, um, you know, the, just the sheer numbers of contaminants that make their way into drinking water, plus what we add to them that come right out the other side, you know, is something that makes us all have to be proactive individually. And that's kind of the basis of everything I've been doing is really writing books and teaching people and teaching high schools and teaching college students, you know, about how they themselves can arm themselves with better information to prevent environmental chemicals, radiation, all these exposures, because we cannot wait for a law to change. Clearly, we're sitting on the Safe Drinking Water Act for 50 years. They can't even get the perfluoralkyls figured out. I mean, those are all the nonstick chemicals that are super high around all military um, sets, you know, sightings and and used in um, flame retardants for, Mm. for, um, you know, all sorts of fireproofing. They make their way, especially around airports and stuff like that, because they do all sorts of uh, use of of those foams, Mm -hmm. basically perfluoralkyl foams, but it's also nonstick chemicals. Um, It's the Teflon chemicals, the Gore-Tex chemicals that make things stain guard and grease proof on packaging, food packaging. Um, all those chemicals make their way into the water system. What makes those that class of chemicals unique is they're fluorinated. So they have a component, um, a halogen on the elements table that makes it so sticky, so tight that these chemicals don't break down. Mm. And that's even more worrisome because they're actually living in our environment for like decades, as opposed to say BPA, which breaks down in about six to eight hours, more or less. Talk to us about fluorinated water. What is that? Well, perfluor- yeah, the perfluoralkyls, when they get into our water, the problem is, is that they're getting into us. Uh-huh. And some of the findings for the fluor, and there are 5,000 or more compounds in the perfluoralkyl class of uh-huh. chemicals, industrial chemicals. And they have been found to have effects on hormones, so endocrine disruption, mm-hmm. thyroid, definitely, because anything that is halogenated can affect the thyroid gland, which mm-hmm. usually re- you know, relies on iodine itself to keep the thyroid healthy. You know, We have to get iodine from food because we don't make it. Um, and as an aside, we should all be having iodine in our diet because we don't get it from bread and, and sea salt anymore. It's actually just table salt. So iodine protects our thyroid from the perfluoralkyls and other chemicals. And so the idea is that these compound class also has, you know, links to um, cognitive uh, impairment, you know, developmental issues in children. One of the more interesting um, you know, groups of data has been shown that it decreases, it has immune system effects. So it decreases the response to vaccines, mm. which can be incredibly problematic because we're here fighting COVID, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, among other deadly diseases, of course, that we get vaccinated for. So it's a really big deal to fill our bodies with chemicals that are working against our survival, if you want to look at it in the big picture. 
And what about the fluorine that's like added to our water for to like protect our teeth? So that, yeah, fluoride is going to be a major problem. It's considered a neurotoxin by most um, toxicologists. It is uh, another one that helps to dislodge and replace or, um, you know, iodine in the thyroid gland. Mm -hmm. It's incredibly important now that we know for pregnant women who drink tap water that is uh, fluoride added, uh, because now they found that lower rates of uh, lower levels of IQ in newborns Mm -hmm. or to women who drink fluorinated water. So the idea is that we have, you know, almost every major water system. I mean, I should say almost, there's so many countries in the world, but the big ones have gotten rid of fluoride and drinking water. The U S has not. Okay. So that's another reason to, again, get to the punchline, which is how do we manage this? We we filter our water at the point of use, which is in our case and our cat, you know, so we can get there, but the idea is I don't want to make everyone flip out and go drink and turn this (laughs) off without getting the answer. Okay. If you only drink vodka, will you avoid these toxic chemicals? (laughs) Yeah, I guess it depends on how it's distilled. If they use organic potatoes, who knows? Well, before we go into treatment, let's talk about testing. What are our testing options? So it's a great question. There's a lot of companies that have been making lots of money on scaring the crap out of people, testing their water, and also supplying the appropriate remediation equipment. Mm -hmm. I do not believe in that. I think that's like looking for mold in your house and then having the guy's brother-in-law do the remediation. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's it's too sticky. You really, you know, I, I actually don't recommend testing. Mm-hmm. And the reason I, and I, I went this route, I tried to do testing with a lab that's very reputable. I took some goo off of my reverse osmosis filter to see what was in my water from the filter. Mm-hmm. They said to me that I needed to not only pay $50 a chemical, I have to know which chemical they should be testing for. Oh, so it lot. was just not possible to do yeah. that. And it was like sludge. So I'm like, I know I don't want to drink this. So, you know, and a lot of the testing is so expensive. Now, the more, the cheaper testing that's coming down the pike, that's kind of like comes to your home, it's in a box, has no relationship to a water filter company. They are moving into town. I just had two boxes ordered so I could test my reverse osmosis against my tap to see if it's actually doing its job. And it did a nice job. I mean, I was very happy. And then I went through a whole learning session with them to understand water even better. That company is called TapScore. I have no financial relationship to them whatsoever. Um, I just think it's very helpful if you have the money to spend. So let's put it this way. I think the, the testing kit for basic water from, you know, whether it's, you know, well water or whatever you're testing or tap water was like 275 Okay. And I said this to them, I said, you know, for 275 you can get a reverse osmosis water filter made in the U.S. every single part. Yeah. And they said, we know. They're yeah. like, this is a luxury for the rich or the insane kind of thing, yeah. you know? <laughs> like, like the idea is that there's no doubt if you have the money and you want to do this, because actually it helped me quite a bit in my own home was because I found out that my reverse osmosis was doing a great job, but because of where I live, it just so happened based on the, on the non-filtered water that I had very high VOCs, volatile Mm -hmm. organic compounds, which are compounds that kind of aerate off. If you let them sit for a while, you know, they're no problem, but if you're Mm -hmm. drinking right out of the, you know, the filter, um, you might still get them. Mm -hmm. So, Interestingly enough, carbon block filters like pitchers and faucets, uh, refrigerator filters like most common, they actually take VOCs off pretty nicely. They may not do very well with other, you know, organic compounds, but they do well with 
VOCs. And I happen to have one of those pitchers with fresh drop-ins that I don't use anymore because I got the RO filter. I thought, you know what? I will just fill up my pitcher for my RO. Mm -hmm. And now I've solved that problem. But you got to be insane to be like, you know, time, effort, money. (laughs) This is what I do for a living. So the point is, is I wouldn't want people to go nuts with testing, especially Mm -hmm. not these companies that test for 20 things only. Okay. It's worthless. You know, I'd rather people literally take their money and buy a reverse osmosis made in the US. Mine comes from California. I will not share brands, Mm -hmm. the work I do, but it's not hard to whittle this down to a well-certified NSF rated California based all parts made in America company that runs around 275. So talk to us about what reverse osmosis is and why it's so good. So reverse osmosis is really the material that has such fine pores, Mm -hmm. so small, those pores, that when water goes through it, it catches everything like a net, like you're catching fish. Mm -hmm. And it's so fine, these pores, that you're catching the smallest particulate matter, which is viruses. It's pretty much not much smaller than viruses. Wow. Yeah. Not even industrial chemicals that are that small. Yeah. No, nothing's that small. Yeah. So so that material is what has changed the game in water filtration and safety, because not only do you catch infectious issues, you can catch all the bigger guys that are all the compounds from industry and medications and lead and mercury and radon, even all the nucleotides. So the idea is that a good RO filter, you know, made in America, not outsourced. If you go to a big box store that says, you know, here's a reverse osmosis, it says made in America on the box, doesn't mean it's not outsourcing the filter portion. Mm -hmm. This is why doing research really matters. I think we got ours 20 years ago or 18 years ago off of Consumer Reports. So always good to have a trusted third party vetting machine. But anyway, um, so reverse osmosis is so remarkable. Um, so I want to give you a fun fact. Mm-hmm. Okay. Fun mm-hmm. fact. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> so <laughs> my dad and my brother are both kidney specialists. They're nephrologists. Uh-huh. And it turns out that dialysis requires and is federally mandated to use reverse osmosis water for their Really? Really? Not only that, my dad has to walk in and check all the water filters and go through with a federal guy or gal every month really? to get those levels to make sure that that RO is working well, because mostly infectious, like they don't care. I mean, my dad, dad doesn't even know anything about chemicals until, of course, I got into this, Yeah, but it was all about infection. You can't add water into human blood back into the body if it has infection. That's amazing. I mean, the interesting piece is that we've just been talking about how we don't think about our water. Federally, nobody thinks about our water. Municipally, nobody thinks about our water, except for in this one place where we would probably- Nephrologists. Nephrologists think about water because they have to. That's it. Yes. Even their patients don't know it. Right. But they have to put a structural thing in place, a functional thing in place so that every month this is continuing. That's amazing. That is is a fun fact. That's way better than the we drink toilet water fact. (laughs) Yeah, I know. This is a fun, happy fact. But what's so nice is like back when we had VHS machines, you know, like the everyone, they were like two grand. Oh my God, it came out. Like I'm dating myself, of course. (laughs) But it came down to the point where it was like 800, then 700. It's like, you know, I guess plasma TV is the same thing. You're like, you can buy it for like $20, like a 30 foot plasma screen TV. RO filters have done the same thing over the last decade. You know, they've come down to such a reasonable price that they're actually cheaper 
than buying a pitcher with drop-in filters or a faucet one or, you know, paying some dude to come in and change out your refrigerator, you know, you know, a a handy person in your house. But I mean, the idea is that it's just so cost non-prohibitive anymore. It makes no sense. People like myself used to schlep home pallets of bottled water and plastic, right? Because we figured it's far, you know, safer. Well, I mean, that's a pain in the butt. Plus you have all the plastic chemicals that were sitting in, you know, that have been holding that water in some warehouse in Texas for 120 degree weather, you know, and you're getting all those plastic chemicals that leach into the water and they just end up refrigerated in your supermarket. So, you know, so there's so much to this that's practical and makes sense financially as well as physiologic. So with reverse osmosis filtration, like if you're doing this for a house, then where does the filter end up going? Is it per faucet or is it per? You you pick one sink in your house, which is usually your kitchen sink. Uh Because that's where you're going to fill up for drinking water and for cooking. Uh And what a plumber does, and it should only take one hour. I literally tell my patients, it should take one hour. And you should be timing them the second they walk in because they charge per hour. I hope there's no plumbers listening. Literally, they charge to the drive over. They charge the distance to your home. But once they get into your house, you should be able to say, if you can't put this in in an hour, I don't want your service because Uh all they're doing is splitting the water line. Okay. Water that's going to go wash the dishes is going through the main, you know, the faucet that you have. And then the other half is going to go through um, all the surface area, all these canisters that go fit nicely under any kitchen sink mm-hmm. into a tank that comes with it, a small mm-hmm. tank, because that's where you're going to create that clean water after it's filtered. Mm-hmm. And then it comes with its own faucet. Mm-hmm. So it's raw off of that tank. And then the plumber knows how to tack that, knows how to like drill it either. You know, you don't have to break your beautiful countertop. You can go, you know, on the side, underneath. There's lots of creative ways to do it. Okay. So one hour of a plumber putting in the, the $275-ish reverse osmosis made in the U.S. Yeah, and $40 maybe a year later to change out the, the cartridges. It's like 40 bucks a year, a year and a half. And you change them out yourself or you have someone come in? Yeah, you change them. My out. someone can't do much around the house, but he can do this. <laughs> okay. I pay him well with our 20 years of marriage. So, but yes, (laughs) that is, this is something he can actually do. And believe it or not, customer service for the least the company we use was super helpful during certain times when things didn't work right. And after 10 years, when things don't work right, you just, you know, get another filter. They're 275 now. So, you know, at a certain point, you don't even bother getting parts replaced. You know, you just get a new one. Yep. And there's maintenance, there's some maintenance to it, but not a lot. Okay. So barring that, if that was not what we were going to do, can you kind of walk us backwards for like your next best option, next best option, et cetera? Well, I believe, and I tell this to everyone, including, you know, students and community members is really any filtration is better than nothing. Mm -hmm. So even the, even the carbon block, the ones that are in the drop-in filters, the ones in the refrigerator that people have all good. Like it's still going to remove certain contaminants. Like lead is very good at being removed by most pitchers, not all. So there are, I mean, it's not all going to be removed, but I mean, in other words, it, it does something. It's better yeah. to do something than nothing. Um, I tell patients who have um, a filter in their refrigerator and they also happen to have a, a pitcher filter, you know, to fill up their pitcher from their refrigerator. So now you've double filtered and didn't take that long. Okay. So at least do that, especially, you know, people who are moving homes, don't know if they're going to stay in one place. They're not hard to move if you want to pay for the plumber to just pop it out and move it to someplace else. I mean, they're not terribly. I mean, the plumber is $150 for the time, the one hour. Okay. 
Okay. On average. I mean, in at New least Jersey. in New Jersey, 130, yeah. 150. So, you know, you want to negotiate all this kind of um, before you have them come out. But so, yeah, I mean, it's it's really one of those things where I believe any filtration is better than nothing most of the time if you can do it. And if it means that you have to deal with colleges and dorm rooms and, you know, moving apartments and, you know, wherever, then you just have to adjust to that. And so talk to us now about like, what should we be carrying our water around in? Glass or stainless steel, never plastic. And don't believe anything the plastic bottles say about BPA free. Now, Gene, although they have some good reviews for now, Gene, the company, but still any plastic has a, a more f- vulnerable, friable material that will actually those plastics, no matter if it's not BPA, it'll be something else that goes into the water. So you really want the hardest, strongest matrix to hold water and food, which is, is sta- glass and stainless steel. What about like aluminum? There's some aluminum out there. Yeah, aluminum is not a bad idea. I mean, I guess the question is, does aluminum in any way play a role in metal toxicity in our bodies? And does that come off? I mean, I think there's anandized aluminum pots. That means that they're sealed a certain way, but I don't see that much in the way of water bottles. So I think if if you're going to get a bottle that's good quality, then just look for stainless steel. Okay. So here, just to kind of dip into a few depressing, uh, here will be the depressing part of the show. (laughs) I still am thinking about drinking toilet water. Like if that doesn't make you want to do something that that, then we can't help you here on our podcast. But I mean, if I were to, I mean, it doesn't help your audience, but I'm telling you like the picture I keep in my office with patients that, that shows the filter that we change out every year of the RO, the canister is, it's literally like, like yellow brown mud. It looks like yeah. disgusting. And it, that's everything that would be in our bodies if we yes. was hot. Yes. It, it's enough to send anyone to run and go get a filter <laughs> for their water. So the two things, the two very sad topics I want to touch on are kind of like, what are, what are communities like Flint, Michigan, like supposed to do? And then how do we think about climate change in our water? So, you know, any order, take your pick of sad, sad topics, but. Yeah. Well, guess what? Flint is not um, alone. New Jersey has led, I mean, the presentation I show, gosh, so many schools, there's no federal mandates on lead testing in schools. So schools are completely off the radar. Um, It has to be mandated by states. Mm -hmm. Um, States don't do a great job of it. Um, So we have lead in a lot of different places that no one really gets a lot of attention for. I mean, Newark, New Jersey had a huge lead problem. No one covered it because we were all focusing on Flint. This is a real issue around the country because of old infrastructure, old lead piping. Um, So it's a real problem. You know, we we talk about lead just because it's a neurotoxin, but there's so many others that are neurotoxins that are in there. But we just give a lot of attention to lead because there's really no safe level of lead in the human body, especially a development, you know, developing child who is growing neurons. Mm -hmm. So what I, you know, what I don't understand, and I've... I guess I can't wrap my head around entirely is why isn't iron state subsidizing reverse osmosis? Mm-hmm. I don't get that because they're buying pallets of water for communities. Yeah. Um, and which is great, but it's not stopping. It's kind of like in medicine going to the root cause. Yes. Like yeah. we're band-aiding by buying plastic water bottles that have their own risk, not entirely like lead, but we really should be subsidizing reverse osmosis. Like, for instance, in just because Flint is kind of the, you know, we know it so well, we have an image in our mind. What we know is that it's a lot of the pipes that are bringing that, you know, it's the lead piping that's that's resulting in lead in the drinking water of the homes. And so what you're saying is that 
it seems like the argument is it's too expensive or we don't have the funding to dig up all those pipes and change out all those pipes. So we'll give you bottled water. But what you're saying is that we could just as easily put reverse osmosis in each of the houses. Well, I don't know how easy it would be. I mean, technically you'd want to have them just filter the water properly, right? So then you're going more upstream than the home is just fixing it at the source, which has really been the issue, right? It's a contaminated filtration system at, at, you know, where, where before it goes to other homes. I mean, it depends on where the issue is. Is it before the, you know, the contamination, I mean, the treatment plan, or is it the pipes that go to the homes from that site? I don't know the answer to that, but I would also say, you know, there are people that argue that reverse osmosis wastes a lot of water. Mm-hmm. And, you know, here's the counter argument to that. Mm-hmm. If you're only using it for drinking and cooking and you're only using it in your kitchen, you shouldn't be using water beyond even anything because you're filling up this small tank and then it stops filtering water. Okay. And it's not a shower. It's not dishes. Yeah. So you're going to make between, you know, you're going to waste between three and five gallons of water on average for every one gallon of reverse osmosis water you gotcha. create. Gotcha. But if you're only your tank holds three gallons, five gallons, once yeah. you hit that five gallons, it's like you're working off the five gallons. I don't see that as a big argument. I mean, okay. call me crazy. I just don't see it. You know, most of us don't even drink enough water anyway. So that's even, you know, whatever. <laughs> a whole nother, and I don't cook. So there's another issue. I got the, I, I'm <laughs> the best water bill ever. Um, but I'm just saying it's like, you know, it seems to me that the argument of, of doing it yourself of, you know, really just giving opportunity to families to protect themselves from this literally unfixable lead contamination issue. Once your kid becomes, mm-hmm. you know, disability and has cognitive issues and affects their IQ, I mean, we're talking about lifelong issues here. So my, my, my hope would be to just subsidize the RO filters and keep them, you know, once a year you get replacements and, you know, you help people teach them how to replace them and, you know, make people want to be self-sufficient. They don't want to be dependent on someone handing them water bottles. Have you ever had, or have you ever heard of or seen like reverse osmosis in more places than just available in the home. So for instance, like childcare places or. Yeah. Well, there's commercial. I mean, they do make huge commercial RO filters for companies is what I understand. Big rooms that are all, you know, yeah. But I, you know, I don't know if they're using it for certain kinds of, you know, besides dialysis or something. I don't, yeah, I don't really know. I know there's a tank, my dad's dialysis the tank takes up a whole room. So, um, you know, I really don't know how this works. But now your second question was about climate change. We're going to have a lot of issues with climate change because with flooding, you know, in addition to tick-borne illness, you know, things that are carried through mosquitoes and ticks, you know, that are not seasonal anymore for tick exposure and all these other issues that are going to be an issue, at least for rheumatologists like me, mm-hmm. water is going to be an issue because we're going to have stagnant bodies of water that are going to promote larva and the production of these infectious etiologies. Mm. Um, I don't know how that's going to play in terms of drinking water, other than the fact that when floods happen, we know that wells become overwhelmed and they can't always manage at least what wells are supposed to do, which Mm. is, you know, keep out a lot of material from that drinking water once the wells go over, you know, in terms of their flooding. Mm-hmm. Manufacturing, whenever manufacturing areas flood, they overflow with chemicals. Mm-hmm. They get a pass because it's considered a natural disaster. 
So they're not directly right. contaminated right. and get fined, which, you know, who knows if that's ever followed up, but they're, they're literally, it's a one-off more or less. So we're going to have a lot more unaccounted, unpunished contamination in our right. water system. You know, it's just going to happen. I mean, even like, let's think of it this way, golf courses, Mm-hmm. Lots of golf courses have coal ash underneath their soil to prop up their holes and to make really nice golf courses. Mm-hmm. Well, it's made from coal ash. Mm-hmm. It's the carbon matter from burning coal. Mm-hmm. When that gets wet, where does it go? It goes underneath the soil to aquifers. Mm-hmm. Where do aquifers go? They go to our water system. Mm-hmm. Fracking chemicals, same idea. Yeah. You know, yeah. so you can see that we drain into the soil. Soil is very absorbent, it can travel for miles. Yes. Why we have clusters of cancers from, you know, various water contamination that we've seen on different news programs. And, you know, so it's not a happy topic. I hate to like make everyone bummed, but it's something that I think if we get a hold of our handle on now, I think it's going to serve us well into the future, especially with our kids. Talk to us a little bit about how these environmental chemicals, we think of them so much as immune disruptors. Yeah. First of all, can you tell us like what is being disrupted? So the endocrine system is this like very complicated feedback loops and processes and, you know, very complicated. So what is being disrupted? So it's interesting when they were coined and I had on my podcast, um, Pete Myers, who was one of the first researchers 20, 30 years ago who worked with Al Gore to write Our Stolen Future. Um, And he was one of the guys who coined endocrine disrupting chemicals. And I said to him how brilliant that was, because even back then, they didn't make it such a tight definition. Mm-hmm. They yeah. made it disruption instead of endocrine lowering, endocrine, something that gave one direction or another. So really disruption in the sense that it's now been discovered to show, you know, not just the reduction in the amount of hormone created that has to signal through the body normally, it, you know, it could be reduction of that chemical, that hormone in our body. It can be mm-hmm. the receptor you know, that catches that hormone is, you know, mm-hmm. it's all a signaling system. So all, hormones are just communicators throughout the body that make all these physiologic activities happen, growth and development, bone strength, fertility, mm-hmm. brain health, and, you know, boy versus girl in utero. These are all hormone driven, you know, insulin is a hormone to manage our sugars. Um, obesity is hormone driven in terms of adipocytes, going big or small and that kind of thing. So all of these messenger signalers are the endocrine system. And so mm-hmm. what these chemicals have been shown is that they can mimic mm-hmm. like estrogen, mimic low dose levels of estrogens and androgens, which are the male version, but they can disrupt anything along that chain of, of communication, whether okay. it's the receptors, but whether it's the beginning, middle or end. Fantastic. And the, you know, the, the Institute for Functional Medicine has a really fun mnemonic around, I don't know if you know this mnemonic around the endocrine system. So when they teach about hormones and endocrine system, they call it the PTSD mnemonic. So P is for production. So that's what you're talking about, like producing more, producing less. T is transport because hormones that are lipids need to be transferred through the body with, through the blood, you know, so it's that we have a fat in the blood, so you need a protein chaperone. And so that transport can be changed Uh S is for sensitivity. So there you're talking about the receptors can either be upregulated, downregulated or interrupted, blocked or incurred, you know, agonist, antagonist, that's the language that we use. And then D for detoxification. So you can either prevent detoxification, which means 
means something can stay active and keep, keep hitting the pedal. You know, the mouse can kind of keep hitting the pedal to get the kibble and that's not good. Or you can um, just get it out of your system too much and then it's not available. So that PTSD production transport sensitivity and detoxification is that whole. So any of those things can go wrong with these endocrine disruptors is what you're saying. Yeah, that's actually very clever. Um, yeah, no, I think that that's, thanks for that. I actually, you know, I wouldn't have put it in such terms, but I think it's really smart because, right, if you're, you know, there's such a thing as called, you know, pseudo persistence, which means mm-hmm. that you can get rid of a chemical that has a half-life like BPA, six to eight hours half-life. If you drink out of a can where you have canned soup, which is the studies were done actually on canned soup, mm-hmm. uh, one big study I love, you basically, which because BPA is a chemical, that's an endocrine disruptor. And it's kind of a classic sort of the poster child for a lot of this work. My partner, you know, actually got BPA out of baby bottles in uh, 2012. Fred Bomsall is my co-author um, for two books. Anyway, so BPA, which is found in the lining of cans, Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a plastic coating. It's found in many, many other places on airplane tickets, on parking tickets, because it seals ink to, to kind of thermal paper. Those receipts, like even yep. receipts in the, at Home Depot. Currency, money. Yep. Currency, anything that's heat fastened. Anyway, mm-hmm. so BPA has a six to eight hour, more or less half-life in the human body. So it breaks down 50% after six to eight hours, and then 50% of that, and another six to eight hours, and then 50% of that. Mm-hmm. So it takes a good couple of days to get it out of your system from that one exposure. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that's excellent if you can get it out of your system, but you'd have to stop putting it into your body. <laughs> yes. To keep that level to a minimum, because yes. if you're just kind of taking in lots of canned sodas, then even if you, you know, stop one area of your life that's BPA driven, you're going to have another. So you kind of have to almost do a survey and really think about all the different areas. Again, I'll pub, I'll put, you know, push the book, the book we did guide to living Absolutely. healthy, you know, it's called non-toxic guide to living healthy in a chemical world. That book was literally created and designed as someone who never understood any of this and kind of learned how to get it out of my body and other people's, my patients' bodies. It's a guidebook. So it teaches how to do that, how to stop the faucet from filling up your body and then get rid of it as well. I love your book because it's almost like a series of lists. You know, it's kind of like how to think about this and how to understand it. And then just like, what what do you do about it? Right, right. Here's the problem. Here's why it matters. And here's what to do with it, which is why I post. I actually post on the smart human in a very similar way because it's how I wanted to learn. I wanted to know the problem, but I wanted to know why it mattered. And then I wanted to know what to do about it. And if I didn't have all three of those pieces, I kind of wasn't that interested. Yeah. So that's how I post Monday, Wednesday, Friday on the smart human. And that's actually how I wrote the book with Fred is that I wanted it to be, you know, very usable and practical. So you could dive in at any time because it's a journey for no doubt. It's a journey. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's a journey, you know, just kind of circling back to how we started that you're in the restaurant and you're drinking a glass of water and you're really not thinking about it. So you know, this is a journey that everything you do now is going to be better than doing it tomorrow. So if you are listening to this whole show and you're going, holy hell, what, what, yeah, what, yeah. what do I do now? Yeah. I holy schmoly. Yeah. Holy schmoly. Holy cannoli. You know, the idea is just take one tiny step now, just start now, or just start with your book or just start with the human, the smarthuman.com or listen to your podcast. Or from this, start thinking about what are the simplest ways that you can change. You can stop drinking 
bottled water out of plastics, you can stop putting water into plastic bottles. Um, You can start with even just as simple as mason jars, or you can even buy, you know, for a long time, we used as water bottles, um, like apple juice, you know, glass apple juice containers, and then you just wash that out and put water in it. So, and then all the way up to getting a reverse osmosis filter for your home. So anything else that we want to talk about today? Anything else you want to review? Anything else on this subject we should be thinking about? You no, know, I guess, you know, I having done this for such a long time, we have, you know, I don't want to downplay the fact that we have some of the cleanest water in the world. I mean, we're not a third party, third world country. Yeah. Yeah. But that being said, even like talking to other countries like South Africa, their waterways are so dirty from sewage and trash. Yeah. That, you know, technically in our, you know, there's always a problem with water around the world. And this yeah. is not unique to the United States to have poor infrastructure, old infrastructure that can handle the ongoing commercialization and compound creation from industry, you yeah. know, among other things. So I think we have to start, you know, saying to ourselves, what are we going to do here and now so that we don't get sick? I mean, I'm dealing with chronically sick patients from a variety of issues that never existed many years ago. It's not that we're better doctors and diagnosing things easier and better for sure. That's not it. Cause we have 15 minute appointments now. It's really it's really understanding that we are getting sicker over these exposures, whether it's food, whether it's water, whether it's personal care, it's coming in from all angles. Yes. And the goal is just to kind of work your way around and do it in a reasonable, non-crazy way Uh uh, and go with low hanging fruit. You know, you start with the easiest stuff first, you know? Great. All right. So there's our talk on water today. You all have assignments, things to do at home, things to think about in your family. I want to thank you all for listening with Dr. Ailey Cohn. We've got lots of ways to continue this conversation through Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can get more information from and about Dr. Cohn at her website, thesmarthuman.com. And at us, about us on our website, centerforhealingneurology.com. Please be sure to share the show with your friends. This is really one that like you might just save their lives, especially, you know, for pregnant women, women looking at pregnancy, for people who are immunocompromised, for kids, definitely share this show, please. And we welcome your rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. Feel free to send topic requests to podcast at centerforhealingneurology.com. We love that you've joined us today to discuss how to make our whole world medicine. We rise or fall together and we're committed to doing what we can to make as many of us as healthy as possible. And this takes all of us, including you. So thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. Party Fish Media acknowledges that it operates and records on indigenous Duwamish and Puget Sound Coast Salish land that is still home to the Duwamish tribe. This land is stolen in violation of the Point Elliott Treaty of 1855. We are committed to uplifting the name of these lands and community members from these nations who reside alongside us. For more information on this land, its people, or ways you can help, visit duwamishtribe.org.